I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, how the arts, specifically hip hop music and culture, can improve mental health and well-being. Dr. Raphael Travis breaks down the healing power of hip hop. My name is Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip hop uh, today is... It's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. Thanks for checking out Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast, brought to you by the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy. Now, like Donnie Hathaway and Roberta Flack, we are back together again. My name is Manny Faces. I'm the creator, editor, and host of the show. As an independent journalist, scholar, and speaker, I've become an expert of sorts on myriad innovative, inspiring, and to some, surprising ways that we can uplift humanity through hip-hop music and culture. And this show helps bring some of those innovations to light, spreading the word and hopefully inspiring others to accept and adopt these ideas into their own fields and their own disciplines. I just want to thank everyone who helps support this show, either through donations, spreading the word, or just listening. Thanks to you, both this show and some of our associated projects will now be released more frequently. There's more details to follow in the next drop, but for now, please make sure you're following the podcast on your favorite pod or audio streaming app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Sign up for our free complimentary newsletter highlighting all kinds of innovation inspired by hip-hop culture at hiphopadvocacy.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at hiphopadvocacy. If you want to know anything more about us, contact us, donate to the show, check out our newsletter, our bookshop, our social media channels, leave us a review, recommend a guest, recommend yourself as a guest, anything. We've put all our relevant info at hiphopadvocacy.org slash links. Now, on to today's episode. Two of the more recurring topics that we've covered on the show have been the authentic, compassionate, and effective use of hip-hop music and culture in educational settings and in therapeutic sessions, uh, both inside and outside of school proper. The intersection of these intersections highlights a huge overarching concept that I and many of the folks that I talk with swear by. It's the healing power of hip-hop. 
Ah, it's such a good phrase, such a concise, complete explanation of why I care so much about spreading the good word about hip-hop's potential to uplift humanity and improve society. It's the healing power of hip-hop. Of course, only one of us actually wrote the book on the subject. Among a few other things you'll hear about, Dr. Rafael Travis is a professor and MSW program director at Texas State University in the School of Social Work. And he's the author of the book, The Healing Power of Hip Hop. Dr. Travis and I spoke a little ways back about his work, his research, and just how much hip hop is able to, well, to heal. Here's my talk with Dr. Rafael Travis. Dr. Travis, thank you, sir for meeting me here on this e-corner to kick it for a little bit. No doubt. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. Long overdue. There have been, in the whole history of me doing this show, there have been few people whose name has come up <laughs> so many times as, uh, oh, you got to get Dr. Raphael Travis on the show. You talk to Dr. Travis? Dr. Travis got to come on the show. I know. I know. <laughs> so it's been long overdue, and I, I, I do appreciate you for coming on, man. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so, all right. I've introduced you. I told a little bit about who you are, uh, but I often like to, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just reading a bio and we haven't yet had in-depth discussions, so I can't tell your deepest, darkest inner secrets. Uh, yeah. How do you, sir, present yourself to the world, your name, rank, and serial number, as it were? Yeah. So I'm Raphael Travis Jr., uh, born and raised in Long Island. I know we have, have that commonality. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm a Long Island native, but uh, at these days, I'm a professor and researcher and licensed clinical social worker. So I wear, I wear a lot of hats. And at any given point in time of the day, I have a different hat on. I also am the founder and director of Flow Story, which is aimed to really be a, a place in between research and practice where, you know, I can share some of the things that I've learned in research and with the world, the people that are out there on the ground doing it every day. Right. Uh, and that's been around since 2013. And really the goal is to help people use hip hop culture for empowerment. And that's really the, the fuel that, that drives my day to day nowadays is thinking about how we can try to make the world a better place. Um, but really, um, using the, the jewels of the culture that we love, uh, in that effort. Yeah, I'm at Texas State University in the mm. School of Social Work, and I'm a professor there and also currently uh, direct the MSW program, the Graduate Social Work program. That's where a lot of my research is done uh, out of the CREATE lab, which is trying to understand. So, you know, we talked about how we can use hip hop to promote well-being, whether it's mental health or physical health or you know, all the other social change benefits, but really trying to understand how people use music in their lives so we can move beyond just kind of anecdotal why we think hip hop is good. Yeah. To really tie it back to some research and give a language and a structure to, to what we already know. <laughs> right, the, right. The things that we could probably sit and just have a conversation about, you know, how meaningful and, and powerful hip hop is. Yeah. And so a lot of it is, and, and I think that those of us who either work in these intersections or talk about them a lot, like I do, the, the trick there is to marry theoretical stuff, research stuff, and practice. And like you said, a lot of stuff 
happens in hip hop inherently that we have to kind of revert, like translate to institutions. If we want to say, Hey, hip hop has these things that can help your thing, but you guys don't speak the same language. So we have to find ways to translate that. And that's a lot of the work itself. Exactly. It? Yeah. Exactly. It, it really is. It really is a, a language, right? It's a culture. It's helping people that are not of the culture to understand a different culture right. uh, in the same ways that we, you know, we do everything else. I think, you know, many of us were, were blessed to be immersed and raised in the culture without really having a name for it. It just, it was the air that we, we breathe. Right. And so we have a level of familiarity and, and, and instinctual understanding that a lot of people don't. And, and it really is that translation that you say. Now, we'll come back to it because I, I do want to talk about some of the hurdles and some of the, you know, specifics in terms of what makes that so difficult. And, you know, part of that is, I don't know, racism, but, you know, things like that, uh, probably I'm, I'm just I'm just speculating. Uh, but what, but let's start at the at the top. You know, I never know who listens to to me, to this show the kind of folks who are connected to the culture and we get it already, but we want to know more in depth and and, and hear from our, our heroes, as it were, uh, or people outside. Like you said, I'm familiar with the culture and we're teaching them a thing or two and getting them, you know, they caught the subject matter and they said, well, how can hip hop, you know, do these things? And we'll talk about, again, the healing power of hip hop as well. Uh, so from a higher level, the idea that the creative arts, right, music or just, you know, art in general can help do some of the things that you've alluded to already, empowering folks uh, from all, all, like throughout history, you know, historically or through any neck of the woods. What's the general theory as to how important the arts play in having a functioning, well-adjusted, working together kind of society? It's crazy that you say that because uh, I was just reading about one city that was struggling with a, a budgetary constraints. Uh, it, it was in Britain. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, they had just announced some some recent budget cuts and and the arts were a major they they suffered a major blow to their funding. And, you know, that's what it always comes down to when there's some sort of budget crunch, when, the, you know, when the rubber hits the road, right. the arts are considered disposable. It's similar to the, the prevention argument. Right. You know, it's hard to invest in prevention because. You don't see the, or at least your many people's eyes aren't trained to understand the long-term payoffs of investing in prevention, right? Because you can't see it and touch it now. Right. It's a it's a future product, right? You're investing in the future to something that you can't see and touch. Sure. And I think for the arts, often suffers that for for people that are not able to see the inherent value and connections, uh, it becomes a struggle for people to invest in. And a big part of my work is trying to tease that out, right? What is the connection of health and well-being to the arts? Or in what way can the creative arts manifest in tangible health and well-being outcomes? And that's really what every, you know, every study we do is trying to really underscore that language and structure, right? So we know that if you're able to, through the arts, regulate yourself and ground yourself and, and be able to, to move out of that place of being reactionary and uh, these, these external things, that that's helpful. 
We know that if you are through the arts, able to share your story and tell your story, to have that cathartic self-expression, that that's meaningful. We know that if you are able to think about ways to make healthier decisions and to be motivated to improve and do better and be the best version of yourself, that that's helpful. We know that if you're able to, you know, better establish a sense of community and connect in a group and have these positive social relationships, that those have direct positive benefits, whether it's reducing stress or reducing anxiety or reducing depression. We know that there are those tangible things. We know that if people are able to, you know, the arts inspire you to work more collectively, not just to be in a group together and and have these positive interactions, but to actually work towards change or to work towards improving the conditions of, of your community, whether it's just a group that you're a part of or it's a neighborhood, right? Those are all positive Things those are those those contribute to health and well being in real and tangible ways, but a lot of people don't necessarily see those connections, and so that's where the research is is really important. And there are so many people that are nowadays shouting from the rafters of like, "Hey, look this 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 stuff really does work." So that that's kind of where I've tried to position myself, where we can move the conversation beyond. I think this is a good idea. It seems like it's a good idea. You know what I mean? Right. And this would be, the, so the research is, is I think, helpful uh, to bolster the efforts of art organizations that are fighting for funding. Uh, we saw that all throughout pandemic uh, cities or local arts organizations having to, you know, apply for these grants to stay afloat. They couldn't open. They couldn't have people there. They're already struggling. They're all fighting for the same money to emphasize the importance of that, again, isn't to say that, well, we, we know the arts are good, right? Like, yeah, but prove it. <laughs> right. <Exactly. laughs> and that work is important. And that's, that, that's exactly what happens, right? Yeah. Is, is that people are more willing to say it, but until you put the dollars behind it. Yeah. I, I always say like, um, you know, one of the, the challenges is the role of the teaching artist and, you know, those that are artists that are, are committed to Art, not just for entertainment purposes, but really trying to be a part of educational settings and after school settings and yeah. having line item funding for teaching artists uh, across disciplines would really, really go a long way to add a whole layer of stability within, within this type of work. And the support just doesn't seem to be there right now. Understood. I know a, a ton of teaching artists and, and we'll now, you know, segue into like sort of how hip hop plays can, can help facilitate or is a great, uh, has a unique ability to be an art form, a, you know, a collective of arts and folks that can actually do these things uh, better than most art forms. I think it's, it's more uh, capable, uh, you know, of doing that for a bunch of reasons. I'll ask you about that. But I just want to say, segue, teaching artists, like I didn't really, as we get older, we realize that there are teaching artists all around us, you know, mm-hmm. that they're, you know, like you said, an after school program run by a, an artist, a you know, visual artist, someone who draws poetry. Uh, you know, there's so many types of art that are being done by practitioners and the value of teaching artists. I'm glad you brought that up and just respect due to every teaching artist out there. You know, I've been an artist, like you said, trying to be the entertainer 
Right. And then, you know, in recent years, I've been able to put myself in a position of teaching artistry. That's so valuable, so fulfilling for the artists and obviously for the ones that they have the impact on. It is. And it really underscores like people have such expertise, like they have such a breadth of expertise that you choose a career oftentimes because even if it's a passion or or, or if it's for income, but that becomes sort of one one dimension of you. But oftentimes you're so much more than that. Sure. And, it, you know, the teaching artist, you really get to see a lot of times like the full personality, their ability to engage others, how much they care about people and society. And, and uh, it, it really is a beautiful thing, you know, when you have the opportunity to to, to work with teaching artists. And now, again, to what I was saying before, hip hop is really good at that. When we say using the arts to, you know, and again, poetry, the classical arts, you know, drawing, theater, you know, all these things, hip hop is as much, uh, if not more, I guess that'd be the, you know, the, the breaking news to some folks, just as uh, capable of influencing, uh, empowering, uplifting, all the things that you said that we use the creative arts to build a better society. Hip hop can do all of that, is doing all of that, and is particularly well suited to do that. Can you speak to the last part of that? What makes hip hop so unique in its uh, ability to be effective to do some of this stuff? A hundred percent. And, you know, that really is the magic of the culture (laughs) is because you literally have so many dimensions, you know? So if we're talking about, first off, you know, the, the main elements of hip hop, whether it's MCing or DJing and production or B-boy and B-girl and what people call breakdancing, uh, graffiti art or visual arts. Right. And then what I argue and many people argue is the most important is this idea of knowledge of self, which is that continual self-reflection as well as that critical eye on the social environment around you. So you're looking within as much as you're looking without. Mm. And that really allows the foundation for all those others, right? I'm not just necessarily dancing for me, you know? Uh, I'm not just necessarily dancing to perform, but this is a form of self-expression and I can layer into that whatever I feel about myself as well as what I feel about the world around me. And so that allows hip hop to be so expressive, have so much of a critical eye on, on things. And then the most important to me is in terms of it always being current and, and reacting to what's going on in the moment, literally in the moment. Mm. Um, but then there's also that archival quality. Right. There's always reference to to history in the past. There's always this folding back on itself, uh, whether it's through the lyrics themselves or it's through sampling or it's through remixing, reinterpreting or out of memorializing or reflecting on, you know, giving people their props. You know what I mean? Right. So I love hip hop about that. And that's really what's from my perspective and many people's perspective is what has allowed it to travel so well globally is because wherever the culture lands, it's able to immediately be responsive to that specific environment, right? What's going on for the lived experience of of that person, that group, that day, 
And, and, and then again, because it has that archival nature to it, you can instantly bring that history and contextualize that history into that lived experience, whether I'm expressing myself through lyrics, whether I'm expressing myself through the, the graffiti art, or whether I'm expressing myself through dance, our local dance, right. Uh, right. or, or, or the beats, right. right. Inter integrating, you know, our cultural sounds and memories. And that's, what's amazing about hip hop. You can, that culture can go everywhere, but it has its roots in a particular place. You know what I mean? Right, right. And which can never be overlooked or overshadowed, d- despite who may have been invited to participate uh, in its, <laughs> you know, in its, uh, in its spoils, uh, exactly. where it came from, whence it came. Exactly. But that's really, and you know, it's a really great way of, of putting it. Again, you do a very uh, good job of uh, stating very concisely what it is we all kind of know about, you know, about hip hop, but, you know, that ability to morph, take on the shape of its locale uh, or its participants. You know, I say, and I theorize because I haven't done the research, but I guess I would imagine that globally, I can only point to like religion, sports, the internet, and hip hop as being like the four, like, I don't know what's, uh, what's greater at doing that, adapting to the, the local, and then having the, you know, the, any location, any country in the world, be as passionate, be as driven, be as into and, and a part of besides hip hop. So that the way you, you ex- explain why that is, it is because it is so malleable, I guess, or you can work with it so easily, but also incorporate your style, your ethos, your style, your lifestyle with that DNA, South Bronx, New York. You know what I mean? That exactly. DNA that's always going to be there. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a foundation that can expand so much. Absolutely. And it taps into something that is intensely personal and intensely universal at the same time. And it's, it's that core value of, of, of self-improvement and community improvement. It's how can I be better given all this that I'm in? Right. How can I make it through and be better in, despite all of this? <laughs> right. And how might we be better despite all this? And, and, and what can we do about it? Because even, even though it could be uh, not confrontational, uh, competitive, even though it could be a competitive uh, genre or a competitive, you know, and, it's, and again, misconceptions about hip hop, notwithstanding, uh, c- competition that at the end of the day, we're still in a cipher and we're still going to give each other our respect at the end of the day, or we're going to still try to work on something together, collaborate, right? Co- collabs are a big part of the, you know, the musical culture. Those are some of the things that, again, in its best form, and obviously hip hop has some issues here and there like the rest of society does, uh, but in its, in its best form, it does that extremely well. Yeah, you hit on it with that, you know, in, in its best form. And I think with, with any culture, right, there is that internal struggle to be the best version of. And, and that's always it rubs up against, you know humanity. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. And, and right. This isn't this isn't unique to right. <laughs> right. Um but but yeah, you know, and, and I, I think that's what those of us that love the culture love, right? When we're able to be in a space where it's collaborative, we're working on getting our game together and we're, you know, iron sharpens iron, we're able to build off each other. 
and be the dopest version of, of ourselves, like that's amazing. It doesn't get any better, right? Everybody's yeah. winning in that situation, you know? One of the other things uh, that comes up or, or I thought of when you were talking uh, is that also the ability to participate in hip hop when you don't have the access to certain things, whether it's, you know, historically, whether it's been, you know, as we say, the arts first thing pulled from New York city during the time when, you know, there were no arts programs, there were no school pro, there were no police and firemen, but that's, you know, (laughs) there was like really nothing there being funded. So stuff was made. You often hear something from nothing. Uh, I like to say that something from something like there were, it was there. So it was assembled from all the parts. The parts were, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, whatever. But that's also what makes it easy to incorporate it into your life. Hip hop. It's it, all you need is you, all you need is one mic. You don't even need a mic. Just need your voice. All you need to do is dance and just learn how to dance. And and you don't need anything, no tools, no no things. And that's part of why it's been so widely adopted. Yeah, and and that that's a part of the culture too. I think about it in. In any setting, right? You, if you just say, Hey, we, we just got to figure it out, right? May not have the resources for this. And, and, and what do we commonly say? That's hip hop, right? right. We figure 100%, it out. 100%. You know what I mean? I talked to so many educators <laughs> during pandemic and I was like, but you had a leg up on some of your colleagues because you come from hip hop. So you know, but like, yeah, we, we've been flipping that. We knew, we know how to get to the side door because we never was loud in the front door in the first place. Exactly. It makes sense, you know, right? We're we, we yeah. going to make it work. We're going to figure this out. Yeah. And, we say it in jest, but think about, like you said, how much of a resource that is yeah. Like to have that level of comfort. Like, yeah, I'll figure it out and don't let don't let me get two or three of us together. <laughs> right. We definitely going to figure it out for sure. You know? And again, this a lot of this comes from resiliency from the communities, again, from whence hip hop came and uh, life experiences build up those skills sort of naturally looking within, but also looking without always kind of having to fight for existence or fight for you know all the things. But the practice of that does come out in hip hop in, in participate. As I say, every I don't say failed rapper. It's a terrible thing to say, but every, every one of every person that wants to be a rap star that doesn't actually get to be a rap star, but does a lot of rapping along the way becomes a better public speaker without knowing it. Right. So in practice, they're taking the skills that they may have raw and they may have learned from ancestors and older folk and society, but you're able to put those instincts right into play through the arts and, and, and sharpen those skills so that they become life skills that give you a leg up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that you underscored. We sometimes romanticize things, you know, as a, you know, it's just just this magic dust of hip hop that (laughs) makes everything better. Um, But you point to, to very real tangible skills that people have. MCs are, are brilliant communicators. They're brilliant at synthesizing lots of complex ideas and making it incredibly clear, digestible, mm-hmm. and engaging. You know, you think about DJs and they're remarkable historians. You know, think about the depth of knowledge uh, and, you know, and don't even get into the math of, of actual mixing and DJing and producing right. and, and the skills associated with that. Mm-hmm. So there are some, some hard, and then, you know, dance and there's, there's, there are very concrete skills that go along with engaging the culture that are, are not easily replicable. And, you know, like you said, pay off dividends in lots of different ways and, and, and are things that we, we all can learn from. 
Yeah, well, the reverse is true, right? Because as we know, by implementing hip hop as a tool for teaching, that's one side is being, you know, a participant and learning these skills. And now you're better at a bunch of things. Uh, but using it as a tool in the classroom, using it as a tool in specifically in counseling settings, we know that because people learn in different ways, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I read better than I listen, kinetic uh, learning, the theory of multiple intelligences, all that smart people stuff. That they, these are these are better paths to engagement, retention, and so applying it as a tool in the classroom or in counseling settings. That's another key element to this. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, the the thing that I think is is particularly helpful is you know what we talk about in social work. We talk about empathy uh, from the perspective of really trying to step into the social reality and the lived experiences of other people in a way that can allow you to truly connect and to truly try to create a a a, a safer space to have difficult conversations and i think because hip hop always has a critical eye on 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 the larger environment and and what people go through I think it's particularly valuable in a counseling therapeutic type of environment and, you know, really trying to figure out how do I engage with this? How can I connect? What are the different ways that I can try to connect? Can, can you uh, can you give person? me some specifics if someone was, you know, not familiar with, you know, what a hip hop session looks like? Is it just y'all freestyling to each other? You know, like people get these you know ideas of what a, a hip hop session might might be like or a hip hop influencer having some of these things. Yeah. What does that look like in practice? Well, it depends, you know, and, and, and that's what I spend a lot of my time. It's like, what are the different ways that you might do this? Right. right. So mm -hmm. the, so the first part is understanding uh, and there's a big debate. Uh, within hip hop integrated mental health strategies, right? What's therapy versus therapeutic? From my perspective, there really is a spectrum of ways that you can work with people from prevention all the way to, you know, more traditional therapy, short and long term therapy. And, and even before prevention is, is self care, right? Creating mm -hmm. tools and things that people can do on their own, right? You don't even need a professional to work with you. Uh, and so, you know, on the prevention end, you can have anything from, we're going to talk about mental health, just have a conversation about mental health and help people recognize that it is normal to ask for help. If you're not feeling uh, great about yourself and your circumstances and things that are going on, um, here are some songs where, you know, we have these conversations. Look, you know, people have conversations about mental health and struggle, right? What's what's depression? What's anxiety? What's the difference? And so it's very surface level. It's not doesn't put anybody on the spot, right? It doesn't single out anybody. It's just using the art to open the door to discussion. And that's what a lot of it is about is. There are these amazing narratives that go on within songs that talk very specifically about certain things. So in that prevention space, there's lots of opportunities to, to have a discussion. And, and that what distinguishes prevention from an intervention is a diagnosis, right? We have a diagnosis. 
or a particular mental health problem that you're trying to address, right? So on the prevention side, you're trying to prevent something from happening. Whereas on the intervention side, there is something going on and you're trying to make it better. Um, and, and straddling the two is kind of risk-based prevention, which is prevention, but it's with a group that is more likely to develop into a problem because of their circumstances. So uh, maybe had a recent loss or coping with, you know, poverty and, you know, some crisis events. And so you're really trying to prevent them from moving into a place where things become unstable and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's the landscape of where you can practice. Now, within that, there's lots of different ways. So, you know, you, I know you've had uh, Dr. Gann on uh, yeah. uh, your show before, and he's talked about therapeutic beat making. Yep. And so that's one aspect of, of hip hop that could enter in any of those places, prevention and risk-based prevention or intervention. And so he has a model for that focuses on beat making as, as the main thing. Right. So beat making is helpful. It can help you be grounded, more regulated. Um, there's also that expressive component to it. Right. So so he has a model. You know, it's relational as well. Right. In a group setting, it has that connection between the individual and the instructor. So there's lots of what in my language, what I say is empowering pieces to the model. Then you have uh, others. You had uh, Dr. Levy on, I believe, before as well, right? So he has a studio-based model where he focuses on, so it's a little bit different, but a lot of the same elements. You know, my model is, at its most basic, is a a lyrics-based model, right? So we explore songs. We use that as a platform to create your own lyrics, do other activities. I've also worked with Dr. Levy and Dr. Gann is in hybrid models where we, we combine, right? So we'll do some lyric-based work combined with beat making or do some lyric-based work combined with creating a song either individually or collectively. Mm. A, a big part of my work is trying to lay out this landscape as well as identify these different parts of the culture to show how there's a million ways that we can use hip hop culture to promote mental health, to promote physical health, well-being, all that. So it can be a, a difficult to pin down, but part of it is because there really is is so much room to to continue to explore, and, and that's really where the research is. You know what what's most successful? You know, is this more helpful? Is it better to have one approach as opposed to two approaches at the same time? You know, me and uh, Dr. Levy were about to try a different version of uh, what we've done over the last two years, and we're introducing therapeutic uh, mixtape making. So, mm. which is the thing that I've always done, and I'm sure you're familiar with, is you know, making mixtape, making your own mix, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. You know what goes into that, and you know, everybody has their favorite mix, and they, <laughs> you know, for different reasons. Yep. You know, so that's what we're going to investigate. It may turn out that it does nothing. It actually makes people worse. You know, <laughs> making 
I, I would but, think I would think that you're probably on a good trend line, though. I think <laughs> like you're building off of things, but it's not like something's crashed and burned. You'd be like, well, now we got to try. All, I, all of this stuff <laughs> seems to be effective to certain to degree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we've we've uh, been very fortunate. And, you know, I encourage people that are interested in, you know, just Google Raphael Travis uh, research empowerment and hip hop. Yep. Uh, and you, you know, you can find a lot of the research, but that, that really is where I've settled. Um, I've, I'm really trying to bring as many voices to the table as, as I can. Yeah. Uh, in terms of people doing the work, really trying to look at the data, you know, does it work? Doesn't it work? You know? Yeah. No, I think, I think that's important. It's obviously the next iteration of everyone doing the work is to document it or research it and, you know, and, and qualify it. Two things. Well, one, one thing, and then I'll switch it up. But it's also really great when you say lyric based. And I, and I talk to a lot of hip hop based educators and folks who are doing this kind of intersectional work. And what's great, and I got kids that are, you know, 20 something years old. And what's great is that I never lost sight of what they might be going through in their lives, sometimes based on the music that they're listening to. And us older folks sometimes don't handle that well or get a bad rap, you know, for uh, not paying attention to how the music has evolved. It's not our cup of tea. So we kind of dismiss it. I'm just going to listen to my CDs and, you know, Spotify is for y'all. But one of the, the in jest will say, sometimes we'll hear people say, hip hop used to all be about selling drugs. Now it's all about taking drugs. Like, like we're supposed to be proud of, you know, <laughs> one over the other. But the implication there is that young people are weaker or they're, you know, this whole emo thing and it's all, you know, but I often point out, and I, I guess you'd agree that there's value to be found in the fact that these are the lyrics that are being related to by young people. In other words, if, if, if artists are making songs about taking drugs and being depressed and you hear a lot more mental health things, you know, finding their way into the music and kids are feeling that then there's something that we need to pay attention to there as adults and especially as counselors or you know social workers. Yes. hundred percent. And there's about five points in there that I, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. It took a long way to get there, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I remember three, I'll be happy, but All right. you know, so the first is do people, let's see, the chronic came out in 1991. Two. Right around <laughs> so, there. Yeah. That wasn't about selling. That was, about, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I think we romanticize, you know, the history of hip hop a lot, right? a lot. And, right. you know, let's go back to some of the playlists that, right. that, you know, that we have. But I mean, Cypress Hill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Entire you know catalog. Right. Yeah, I get exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, one of the things, the thing that made hip hop great, well, one of the things that made hip hop great for my generation when I was young was that my parents didn't necessarily listen to it. You know, it was our music. Right, right. You know, it re right. it reflected our reality. So how could they understand? You know what I mean? Um, sure. It's, it's just a different thing. But that's, that is one of the beauties of it that you point out is that it can give us a window. And I, you know, and I think we have to, we have to be cautious at the same time because it's, it's also what's being fed to us. Yep. Literally yep. being fed to, uh, to us through, you know, how things are marketed and how things are spotlighted and, yep. you know, what gets the shine and what doesn't get the shine, what gets rewarded uh, monetarily uh, and what doesn't. Um, but to the extent that, 
people are saying that they feel it and are, you know, we, we do have to take it at face value and we do have to pay attention to it if, if we care, you know, if right. we, you know, if yeah. we care and, and want to help the younger generation and just be curious, you know, yeah. uh, at the same time, I think we can hear stuff and, and, and be curious. Like, is this what you see, what you feel, what you hear? That's what we try to do on the lyric side of things. Um, I believe it allows us to have some difficult conversations. Um, it externalizes it a tiny bit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's somebody else talking about it. So we can have this conversation. What, what do you think? You know, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, 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 yeah. That's the way to get it in. Like, to, yeah. yeah. You know, but, um, I love hip hop. So I'm always going to be looking at the new and trying to figure out. And, and I do. You know, I do suffer from, you know, at times where I'm not feeling it. I, yeah. I want to feel it, but yeah. I don't. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. And so, you know, I, I, I struggle with that and the whole dad rap syndrome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know. Well, I do want to I do want to remind people as I advocate for not only this, but as as you know, as being a still a hip hop head, there are also young people that do the kind of music that older folks that, you know, have a certain traditionalist purist background would enjoy. They're out there, they're doing it. And like you say, it may not be the ones that are most rewarded or most, uh, but, you know, as grown folks, sometimes we don't take the time to, you know, go digging and finding and, you know, getting the right Spotify playlist that introduces us to that, but they exist and they're out there and, and we try to support them and, and that helps. Yeah. Cause I always say, you know, you can, Tell me whatever you call the golden era of hip hop, whether you're talking about the late 80s or you're talking about the early 90s, Nas Biggie and all that. Yeah. There's more quality hip hop out now than there was ever. 100%. At any of those periods. 100%. And more and more diverse and more, you know, and like we, we can lament that some of the genre bending stuff muddies the hip hop definition water. Of course, I would say you're trying to put something in a box that by its nature isn't supposed to be in a box. Hip hop's not supposed to be in a box. So, exactly. you know, that's fine to me that we genre bend and try out and get experimental. Uh, but like you said, there's so much uh, being made. That's really not the problem. The problem it may be discovery. The problem may be, you know, the time it takes to get those algorithms right on, on our <laughs> phones. But anyway, we digress a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but staying on the hip hop topic, just briefly, were you ever on the practitioner creative side or just the fan connoisseur side? What did you do? Yeah. What, tr what, so, trouble, what trouble did you get into? <laughs> so, yeah, when I mean, when I came up, you know, we, we had our crew uh, out in, out in Roslyn. Okay. Um, the rock, rock and fresh crew. That was okay. our, our B boy crew. And I grew up in Westbury, so I was right yeah, there. The block. So you're right so, there. Yeah. We might have yeah. battled. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, up, at, up at Roosevelt uh, Field Mall. Exactly. Yes, no, sir. I it's so it's so funny. I told this story. I was on a I, I was on a podcast the other day and I talked about getting into a, a little scuffle at Roosevelt Field. That was where we you know, we went, we had our little battle out there. We, you know, we had our stuff on somebody else. You know, yeah, we, had, we had a big fight with Hempstead. We, <laughs> Westbury and Hempstead didn't get along. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I actually, I, I lived in Hempstead till I was five, and mm, okay. I used to be in Hempstead pretty much every other weekend because my parents split up. Mm. But my dad still lived in Hempstead, so I was there every other weekend. Yeah, yeah. Hempstead, yeah, I know Hempstead and Westbury have beef. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> so you were out there doing it a little bit. Yeah, so a little, very little. <laughs> but okay. yeah, no, there was the ebb and flow of, you know, when 
uh, breakdance and b-boying was popular then kind of died out a little bit but i you know i always loved graffiti mm. ever since i first set eyes on it you know i, I never would spray paint i was always too scared i'd get in trouble spray <laughs> right. paint on the walls but <laughs> right you know but i always drew okay I still love it you know i bought my first turntables in high school so you know mm-hmm. did some mixing and scratch and never you know was excellent at it but um, but it was always, always there. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I started making mixtapes, blend tapes since right. day one, you right. know, you, you're from Long Island. So, you know, like, like public en- enemy and all that was on BAU before, That's right. you know, there was no, you know, you had red alert and, and everything, but well, you had to like uh, tune in from 10, 8, 10 PM to 2 AM on Friday and Saturday. Exactly. But, but then the college shows were on, you know, Wednesday nights and, you know, exactly. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. set my alarm to when I knew there was a press record and then and I wake up tapes. the next day. Yep. And see what I had, see what they had on there. <laughs> I would get mad when like they had mad talking on like the long talking stretch. <laughs> you hey, like, hear like mostly talking in like two songs. That's funny. But, That's uh, funny. yeah, but, um, you know, but but yeah, making pause tapes, that was always my thing. And so it was always that, you know, sequencing, putting stuff together, making mm. the perfect mix. That was always a part of part of my MO. And, you know, I continued that forever. You know, once we got into digital and then software and all that. So I got got a little older and was able to, you know, afford to be able to purchase some some equipment. So so I'm I'm back in effect, man. Okay. But, you know, <laughs> See now, yeah, I feel you. Yeah. So I mean on the creative side now, I really I I'm I've been making mixes uh as DJ Hoodwink since two thousand, really two thousand. What really got me back into it, honestly, like seriously back into it was the um was the the Ironically, was the Bush Gore elections. Okay. That really got me like wanting to have a voice. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, interesting. Yeah. And um, so that's really when it reignited I, a little bit. Yeah. It reignited the fire a little gotcha. bit. And by that time, software and everything was out there. So, right, right, right. You would have to buy hard, you could buy, uh, you have a computer and you'd have a little studio inside, Fruity Loops yeah. and all that. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've been doing that ever since, man. And, you know, nowadays into beat making and, you know, got the turntables back. So doing a little of that as, as well. Nice. That's nice. my self-care nowadays. I, I stopped, you know, I was a DJ when I was a teenager and, and a little bit after that. And then, you know, I fell off for a while and then I did remixing. Like I said, you know, computers, I didn't have to have SP 1200 yeah. and MPX, but I could sample on the computer. And so I started putting together remixes and then I got back into DJing a couple of years ago and I still do. I, I DJ for the band called Fuse out in uh, New Jersey. I DJ for the comedy show here and I've done a few sets here and it's church. It just keeps me, yeah. you know, it just keeps me engaged. So I like yeah. it. I'm not doing it full. I'm not going to, you know, go on tour or anything, but it's it's cool to be able to still do it. That's what's up. So educationally, your path, you told me your path creatively and hip-hopically. Educationally, how did you get into this field? Yeah. And then, and then I guess I want to know like what things that you picked up from the creative side led you to the epiphanies that have led you to this, uh, you know, to where you are now. Yeah. So, you know, coming from, yeah, you know, Long Island and, you know, probably better than most, right? When, when people outside of New York, they hear Long Island, they think rich, Hamptons, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, so I grew up in, when we moved to 
Roslyn from Hempstead, it was because they built some new low-income apartments in that black area of Roslyn. Right. right. Um, a very small so, black area of Roslyn. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it was a really good look for, you know, uh, a young family. But that's where I grew up. That's where, I, you know, through high school. And, you know, a lot of the challenges that low-income communities face, we faced, you know, individually and collectively as a community. And coming out of school beyond just wanting a job that <laughs> that I could be self-sufficient yeah. with, uh, I also wanted to help youth like me. You know what I mean? People gave me a chance, gave me a shot. I had opportunities that that were extended to me and, you know, and I wanted to be able to do the same. And so that's how I got into social work. Mm. Um, I'm giving a little bit of an abbreviated story. Like in my undergrad, you know, I, I, I realized late a psychology degree couldn't get me where I thought it could. And so I ended up majoring in sociology, which I felt helped me understand the world a little bit better and all the craziness of the world. And then somebody told me about social work. And I was like, wow, I can actually, with this degree, I can actually do Ah. what I want to do. I can actually practice and help people. And so that was really an eye opener for me. Mm. And it was really the perfect marriage of like my interest and just kind of who I was as a person, you know? Yeah. Fast forward into actually practicing social work. That's where the connection of hip hop came in. It's because a lot of the kids that I work with they were just as into hip hop as I was. Right. You know? Right. And you were still young enough to, you know, like, right. you were, yeah, yeah, I was you were super still... young at that time. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were listening to the same stuff. That's how uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Bettina Love said it. She was like, I'm listening. We, we, I'm, but a couple of years older than some of these folks. Like, we in the same, you know, mix. Exactly. Yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, you know, DMX was was popping at the time. And, you know, I was working in residential treatment center and therapeutic group homes. and so they had a common narrative, right? That that was what he had just come out of, that system. And so, he was great for that narrative, like the whole, you know, because yeah. he he start, helped you start those conversations for sure. That Exactly. Like, yeah. And not seeing people writing down lyrics and writing their own stuff. And so, it, mm. you know, that's where that whole angle came in. But the other part, and this is important, the thing that I noticed in a lot of those is that like the psychiatrists and the nurses and some of the other folks that were in those settings, they really, really viewed kids as like broken and problems and needed to be fixed. And it was a very deficit focused lens on the youth. And that really wasn't, that's not what I came into it for. You know, I I came from the strength space and like, you know, how could we invest in these young people? And so it really got me focused on this this idea of positive youth development and and that being the the being committed to that right how can we how can we promote positive development and look at them through the lens of potential and so those two things really fueled my desire so i i, I was like i'm going to go back to school and folk the, the other piece was Recognizing that a lot of young people went back to the communities that were difficult. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the same community challenges existed. So I was like, I want to go back to school. I want to go back for public health. Public health is concerned about 
the well-being of communities, right? How do we, not just individuals, but communities. And so that's why I went back for community health. Long story short, in my doctoral work there, I was very interested in like, how do the people that work in community programs, how do they view the young people that they're working with? And how does that impact how they do what they do? What I wanted to do was look at different types of programs. I wasn't interested in service programs. Like you come in, you get a, you know, health service and you're done. I was interested in, in programs that were geared towards youth development or programs that were geared towards youth organizing or youth social justice. Mm. You know, those are the ones that are focusing on changing juvenile justice laws. Right, right. Uh, changing educational policy. Systemic stuff. Systemic stuff, right? Yeah. But through the lens of young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I looked at four programs. Two of those programs had hip hop as a main piece of their work. And so that allowed me to really get an understanding of both at the same time, right? How do we think about promoting positive youth development? Um, how do we think about addressing some of these community level issues that we know are important? And where does hip hop fit in all of this? <laughs> right, right, right. So, so that allowed me to really just immerse myself in all of those conversations at the same time. So kind of to tie a bow on this, coming out of that, what, what a doctoral program does is it gives you the skills to be an independent researcher, basically to look around and say, what don't we know? And how can I figure out a way to try to find some evidence and answer to what we don't know? And I looked around and not a lot of people were, were talking about hip hop, right? It tended to be either hip hop is the worst thing in the world or hip hop is is the best thing in the world is going to save us all. And this will be the, the sort of final point on this. What was less asked, and this is where I decided to sort of formally enter the conversation was, in what ways can hip hop be helpful? And in which ways might hip hop be harmful or risky? And can they be both at the same time? Mm, mm, right. And that was really where I said, okay, I think we can have a conversation here and and really look at this in some depth. Uh, I, I appreciate hearing all that. I, I'm the son of a sociologist. Uh, taught at Old Westbury, actually. Uh, oh, yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, distinguished professor of sociology at Old Westbury. So, of course, I didn't go to college because, you, know, <laughs> you know, the shoemaker's son, you know, yeah. that whole thing. Uh, but, you know, I got a lot of sociology osmosis, so I appreciate you saying that, that that gives you a different uh, aspect. It's great to, to hear how you got there. Two questions. I know we've been talking for a minute. To parlay off of that, what are the dangers? I don't want to say what are the dangers of hip hop. That's a long, we talk for another long you know, time. Um, but for folks in, I guess, in your field or in related fields, education, counseling, social work, therapy, therapeutic, and part of it you alluded to earlier, I'm just starting to learn about that debate that you mentioned, terminology, uh, the blurring of the lines when you're introducing hip hop into some of these things. There are some people that feel some type of ways about this. I'm just learning. So where is that danger for folks that are in the fields and maybe wanting to learn more about this idea, these concepts, incorporate them? We talk a lot about authenticity. Now, you know, we've, now you've you know, alluded to a, a debate in terminology. 
what do practitioners uh, have to do? I, I assume I assume that this is becoming more available in the field. You know, these, these sorts of combinations, intersections. What do we have to watch out for? The major challenge, and this is really the challenge with with anything that is you're trying to formalize, is that there currently is no accrediting body. There's no articulated structure. There's no rules, guidelines, or anything governing this area of work. Yeah. That's a great thing and a, and a problem at the same time. It's great in the sense that, you know, once you start doing that, then, okay, well, who's the person that sets these guidelines? Right. So whoever's at the table, the slings and arrows are going to be pointed at them because who gives them the right to, you know. And so that's a major challenge. Uh, I think the the sweet spot that we're sort of in now is that people of the culture generally know. You can tell who's of the culture. Right. (laughs) Right. And so real recognize real. Exactly. Right. So, you know, so that's. But that can only go so far, right? Yeah. So, you know, our earliest conversation around funding, right? When when real funding gets involved, yeah. then it's going to introduce a lot of challenges. There's a racial component to it, of course, as well, that we have to be mindful of in terms of really respecting the culture versus co-opting the culture, which is a challenge. I think that line that you talked about, like what is there, well, in therapeutic spaces. Yeah. Uh, what is therapy versus what, what isn't therapy? We also have a challenge, and, and this was a good one that Brittany Williams brought up in, in one of our conversation in earlier, and, and I think it's a major one, is continuity of care, right? So mm. say somebody went to you, Manny, if if you were, you know, doing this work and, you know, you did some amazing work and made some great progress with someone, but then that person moves to Virginia or, or even just another part of New York, right. Where, where you don't have, you, you can't continue that therapeutic relationship. Yeah. Well then what happens to, to that person? Interesting. There's no network. Right. There's no, there's no infrastructure in place. Not to cut you off. I said that's that's the growing pains of an immature, not not for, you know, not in a disparaging way, but a a young field of study that's now, you know, more than burgeoning. It's blossoming. But these are growing pains. Right. This I'm sure this happens. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of work uh, being done um, and there's still, you know, thinking about one approach versus another. And, you know, the stuff that I was talking about before. Yeah. So. I'm excited because being on the research side of things for for as as long as I am, I'm excited about people asking important questions from a research standpoint. It's not we we move beyond just doing practice, right? You know, because that's going to help the longevity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is having people that are practicing, having people that are researching, having people that are educators, having people that are the teaching artists, you know, having that full, that we can build the infrastructure of using this culture for good. Yeah. And, you know, having young people, intergenerational, right? So yeah, yeah. what you were talking about, having 
the younger generation, for the older heads, you know, having all that going at the same time. That's that's what I'm really excited about. That none of that existed when, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago. Right. You know, right. Well, that's good to hear. And not to mention the uh, incredible advocate uh, journalists with podcasts that you know. <laughs> there you go. I'm just saying, you, you know, in, in general, I'm not being specific. You know, hypothetically. <laughs> that well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, think about think think about the you know the hat that you rock, right? Hip hop yeah. can save America, like literally. Yeah. No, yeah. Re- real yeah. talk. You well, know, you know I, what, and. Brother, that leads to the final question that I asked. Uh, that was brilliant. Did you plan that? You must have listened to the show. Um, the title of the podcast is Hip Hop Can Save America. Uh, I do have merch available. That's what he's alluding to. You can't see it, but it's there. I named it intentionally. It's a, it's a lofty concept. I think, obviously, we need more than just hip hop. But as we talked about and, and you sprinkled all throughout our discussion, hip hop has these powers, these, you know, very unique, uh, it's very uniquely positioned to be able to affect individuals, communities, and therefore society as a whole. So the question I ask is for anyone, whether they're in this field or not, whether they're stumbling upon our conversation for the first time and they're like, oh my God, I didn't even know all this stuff. You know, why is it important that anyone across any board, demographic, universally, not just in communities that have been traditionally left behind, but across the entire spectrum of what society is all about? Why do we have to pay attention to hip hop? Why is it a very viable overlooked but important thing to look at when we're looking for ways to improve lives, livelihoods, and uh, communities? Well, hip-hop is really a a fuel for life. It is something that is as committed to individual improvement or well-being as it is to community improvement or well-being. That core value of empowerment that connects me to we is is the foundation of the culture. There's a home for everybody in that space. One of the things that, for me personally, as an individual, when thinking about the concept of America, is it, it hasn't always had a, a, a positive connotation um, because of the lived experiences uh, from Native American to, you know, black black and brown populations. There's a a lot of bitterness. Um, But one of the things personally for me that I've been able to grow into later in my life is the idea of thinking more aspirationally about America. Not that I need to focus on what it was or has been, but more about what it can be. And I believe that that is at the heart of hip hop, right? Despite these circumstances, what can I be? How can I be the best version of myself? And how can I express it to you and tell you that? How can I be mindful of who we are? And despite how people may define us or the narratives that people may have about us, what is our real narrative and how can we protest inequity and injustice, speak on it and actually try to do something about it, you know? And I think there is no other art form that does that in a variety of ways. You want me to dance to to, to help get there? You want me to draw it out visually? You want me to speak it? (laughs) Right. You want me to, you know, give you a soundtrack to it? I could do all of that through the culture. 
Yeah, 100%. We do a social justice podcast called Newsbeat, (laughs) where we interview activists about issues, and then we invite artists to come spit 16s written for that episode about the issue we're talking about. And it's compelling and it's amazing. And it's like, we could do that too. We could do journalism. We could do education. We could do social work. We could do it all. It's all there. Exactly. Thank you for spelling it out. Uh, Not only for pointing out that hip hop is doing it. We have these conversations all the time. You know, the hip hop could do this, right? You know, the hip hop, you could be a better plumber because of hip hop. You've learned about the entrepreneurial history of hip hop and how people were, you know what I mean? Like marketing and you know, that, that hip hop invented certain things. You could be a better plumber. But we say all these things, thank you for helping work to prove them with research and other uh, you know, academic-based documentation. And that's very valuable. Absolutely. Speaking of documentation, we'll wrap up. And I know I kept it for a long time. I appreciate it. We, obviously, we could have these talks for a million years. Documentation, the book still exists. It's still lauded. It's a, a fairly seminal piece of work. The Healing Power of Hip Hop. Just plug the book, man. Tell, tell what's in it. Why is it still a valuable piece? Uh, you, know, you can be humble or not because people love the book. Yeah. You know, when you talked about it earlier, the book similarly was just as much for the hip hop head that is born and raised and of the culture. Right. And I am hip hop as much as it is for the person that is like hip hop. How in the world could <laughs> hip hop be healing? Right. You know, there's, there's no all I hear is cursing and right. misogyny, right? And so I, I wrote it for both audiences at the same time and really wanted people to understand the richness of the culture, the value of the culture, where it came from, the roots at this intersection of arts and power and social enterprise and social movements, as well as the future, recognizing that the culture is is really a renewable resource. Mm. It's something that is baked in. And like you said before, we don't need a whole lot, right? The culture is the culture. You can go into any high school now and get a random cross-section of the population and they can spit bars better than half of the people <laughs> that you hear on the radio, right? right? It's just a part of the culture. You can locate it anywhere. So that's really what the book is about, really trying to lay it out. But the, the two key pieces was I tried to bring the research in and to help people understand that there are five dimensions of empowerment that are the things that that's what engages us, right? Esteem, resilience, growth, community, and change. Those are the dimensions of empowerment that we all gravitate towards and we can all understand, right? Who am I as a person? What's my story? How did I get and cope and get here? Who do I want to be? What's my community? What community do I value? And what are the things that I want to change in society? Those are the narratives that are constantly reflected in the culture. Mm. But then also really wanting to help introduce people to what I call the cultural ambassadors. All these people out there that are doing amazing work, whether you're talking about Chris Emden or Timothy Jones and, you know, Elliot Gann and Ian Levy. And these are all people that are are doing different things in different ways. And so I wanted to introduce people that are ambassadors for the culture as creatives, as professionals, as researchers, as community advocates. Uh, and so the, the book helps to do that and, and recognize, you know, across disciplines. 
education, mental health, physical health, summer school, after school programs everywhere. So that's what the book is about. It's really trying to to peel back the culture and, and really deliver it in a way that that people can digest. And even hip hop heads that knew know a lot of it. Oh yeah, um, I find a lot of the hip hop heads. You know, you could be the biggest fan of hip hop, love it, know like and like I said, inherently all these great qualities, but don't know that it's it's as tool as a tool for for social work or for you know therapy or for you know you don't they don't know that people don't mm-hmm. know. It's you'd be surprised how little people that are not in academia or in these specific fields, but would support it, would understand it, would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, you know, yeah. but uh, part of that work uh, is why your book is so important to to share that. And uh, I do the same thing here. I hope that anyone who now just realizes that there's a book and that, you know, we had this long conversation, obviously that means you know what you're talking about. The book is worth getting and people can still find it and get it. So. Hopefully we put thanks, them on. Thanks for the support. Yeah. Amazon, yeah. Barnes and Nobles, anywhere. Yeah, indeed. So uh, other than that, anything, is there anything coming up? Is it just research? Is it just, you know, work and, you know, doing all those things or, or you know, is there another book? Is there a, you know. A- yeah. Right now we're in the middle of uh, a six month uh, mental health campaign that is, it really has its roots in some of the summer work that uh, Dr. Levy and I did our, our mixtape camp, our annual summer mixtape camp. We're about to do the third one. but really mental health came out. It created a, an amazing song uh, last year. And it really just under, it's in amid COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of things going on. COVID has really exacerbated a lot of the mental health things for sure that people are struggling with. So we're in a six month campaign. We're releasing facts and figures each week, resources. Uh, you can find it on any of my social media out there. And so we're in week six or seven or so. So you'll see lots of uh, different events and information, really trying to raise people's awareness around uh, mental health, particularly young people's mental health, but but across the board and trying to to also have that intersection with the arts and hip hop and, and see those points of convergence. But really wanting to, people to understand how real the mental health situation is right now, uh, particularly for our young people. Every interaction we have is important. Every relationship we have is important, whether you see it or not. Um, be mindful of young people's mental health and how we can better support them uh, because they, they really, really need it. There's a lot going down Yeah, uh, between COVID, just general life stressors, uh, all of the, the racial dynamics and, and things, social justice issues going on. Yeah. Uh, so we can make a difference in, in the lives of young people. Well, dope. That's that's good to know. We'll, we'll link, link it and follow it and spread the gospel. Uh, noble work indeed. So I'm surprised you ain't asked me about my top five, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that on part two. All right. We, we I think my, my guess is that we'll have a part two. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I welcome you back to anything that I could help uh, spread the word about. What Are you, you a Knicks fan, by the way? I, I am a Knicks fan. Right, Crazy so. story I just heard today. So Marv Albert announced that he's retiring. Right. So apparently um, they played this clip this morning with uh, Chuck D on it. And, you know, he's a New Yorker Knicks fan. He said that Marv Albert's voice was so unique that he actually modeled his flow after Marv Albert. And this is the kicker. Not Marv Albert from the... TV Knicks broadcast, right? But Marv Albert from the New York Rangers hockey broadcast. Wow! 
he said that the speed of hockey was faster than the Knicks. And so you could really hear like the nuance and the, the intonations. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. With yeah. Calling, calling hockey would be quicker. Yeah. Yeah. So but I thought that was a trip. I thought that was a trip. That is a trip. That's that. Well, I got to pull up that clip. That sounds really yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, we get our influences from weird places, man. Yeah, you know that's hip hop. We take it from that. <laughs> My man Silent Night just was on ABC World News Now doing a hip hop version of their polka. Wow! Every week they interview, they invite someone to do a version of polka. I don't know yeah. why. It's the end of the whatever. It's, it's every week they go out. Kermit the Frog did a hip hop. I mean, did a polka. You know, yeah. but they were like. They were trying for two years. The guy was retiring. He was like, I want to get a, a rap polka. And they were like, no <laughs> one's ever done that. They got my man to do it. So he just did hip hop polka on the air. Wow. So we get it. We everything. There's nothing Everywhere. we can't, nothing we can't yeah. do. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I know I kept you a long time. Yeah, uh, no, man. Long overdue to have a conversation. We've known each other from afar. I've watched you, you know, your work. I've read you know parts of the book. Yeah. Uh, I just, I appreciate what you do. And it was really great to just, you know, go through it all. And, and it, it inspires me. I'm sure it inspires listeners and, and, uh, and, and the next generation coming up that's just figuring all this stuff out, whether it's people in your field or young people know that this can be a way to address their issues and get healed through the power of hip hop. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Uh, appreciate the, the platform. I thoroughly enjoy your work and everything you do for the culture. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Spending time today. Appreciate it. That's what's up, man. Mutual. Mutual. Uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Once again, I'm Manny Faces, and I thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest hip hop podcast. If you appreciated this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us at ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. That's ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. Easy to remember and very helpful to the cause. In addition, you can support the show and get some special offers at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Every penny goes into being able to continue this and other work that advocates for the use of hip hop music and culture to improve society and uplift humanity. Now, this show was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me under my production company, Manny Faces Media, in association with the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy. And fun fact, I also produced the theme song. For more about my projects, including the award-winning social justice podcast, Newsbeat, information about my public speaking, my upcoming event calendar, and more, visit my online home base at mannyfaces.com. For all things Hip Hop Can Save America, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, supporting, and showing love. Appreciate y'all. We're out. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com. Filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, 
It's many faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.